But right now, we're about to go to a very special conversation with Drew Brees. Uh, When Father's Day was approaching, we began to ask who would be someone who actually is a man of faith, a man who is a father and committed to his family, and in his case, a person of generosity. So I'm really, really excited for you to get to hear what Drew has to share right now. We had a great time together, but I want you to know his heart. I want you to catch what he's sharing about his faith. Notice how it's everything in his life. So right now, right now, man, I want to say, get ready to hear from Drew Brees. Right now, we're really excited to have Drew Brees with us. Almost everybody has to know Drew Brees as a quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, one of the most incredible people to ever play that position in all of football. And so uh, we are so blessed to have him. But he's also a man of faith and a man of character. And uh, we are going to be blessed to be able to learn some wisdom from things that God has used him and taught him in his life. But Drew, I want to start by uh, saying to you uh, on behalf of Crossroads a big thank you because uh, our church family suffered a loss when um, Easton Parker, who was six years old, and for those who don't know, Easton had a rare brain tumor, and he went to be with the Lord. But he was a New Orleans Saints fan. He was a Drew Brees fan to the hilt. And uh, Drew, you reached out to him, and you encouraged him, and you encouraged the family. And and I just want you to know that means a lot to us, a lot to us as a church that you would do that for them. Well, it was it was really incredible for me to have the chance to be around him um, and his family. Um, what special people. And I know they meant a lot to so many. And so to to be even just a small part of, of his journey and have a chance to spend time with him um, while he was going through, obviously, a very, very tough time, um, him and his family. It just it meant a lot to me to be able to to be with him and, and to be able to do that. I was able to have him up to our training camp when we practiced against the Chargers um, last year, and and then obviously I've had stayed in contact with with Drew, his his father actually. So um, really a special family. Yeah, and it's just so cool how that God used you and your position to make a difference at a time like that, and we do appreciate it. Um, Tony Dungy said something I thought was really cool. He said that a tree is known by its fruit, and you've always shown the fruit of a good character. And uh, then Demario Davis, uh, one of your teammates, said that um, when you made that public comment you made and then apologized for it, uh, you showed the kind of leader you are. So um, obviously most everyone knows there's been this situation where you made a comment, now I've apologized. But uh, the question I want to ask is, uh, what did you learn from this as a leader? And did you use this as a teachable moment for your children? Uh, yes. Uh, first off, I was, I was very regretful with the way that, uh, you know, my comment was perceived. Obviously, that was never the intention. Um, really, throughout my answer, I was trying to give a great message of unity and solidarity and us all coming together as a country. Unfortunately, my answer got twisted a little bit by media and social media. But at the end of the day, I think that it is it, 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 it's the sign of a great leader to be able to apologize, admit where you were wrong, admit how something may um, have been perceived the wrong way, and certainly try to drive the message about um, who who we are as Christians. And, and at the end of the day, it's about um, our love of the Lord, and it's about um, His calling in our lives. And, I, and I've always been someone who cares about people. I always see the best in people, and I feel like God has called me to have, utilize my influence for, for good. And I think we would all recognize that uh, these are trying times um, in our country, and there is great injustice that exists in our country, especially for the black community. 
and that we are all part of that solution. I think now more so than ever is a time for all, us all to not just sit on the sidelines and say, hey, we support what's happening, but to get involved and utilize God's influence in our lives to be able to um, move this country forward, um, make it as, as, as good as we can, and, and bring true equality, true opportunity, true equity to our black communities. Yeah, one of the things you said uh, publicly is that you not only uh, want to be aware of the problem, you want to be a part of the solution. And uh, I want to say, too, for all the Crossroads family, we do, too. Uh, we don't want to sit on the sidelines. We want to be a part of the solution. We want to be a part of making a difference and, and showing that black lives matter and that people should be treated with respect and value. And so uh, that's born out of my faith in Jesus, which I know you live your life, according to what I read, four Fs. Am I right about that? Yes. They're uh, faith, faith, family, football, and then philanthropy. That's yeah, kind I of love the joke. The philanthropy. I, I, promise, I, I promise I'm not a dumb football player. I know that uh, philanthropy is a PH, but it sounds good. It gives you the F sound. So faith, football, philanthropy, or, or excuse me, faith, family, football, and philanthropy. Yes. Okay, I love that. That is just, and it's very memorable, very memorable. Um, and, and so I want to talk about each one of those. So let's start with faith. Um, when did Jesus first become so real to you, you committed your life to him? So I, I grew up um, with, uh, my parents were divorced. Uh, my one parent uh, I was going to church with regularly, the other, the other parent I was not. But um, I, I had a bit of that faith base. It was the first Baptist church in Austin, Texas. Um, but I'd say up until my high school years, um, I was just going to church for you know, the free donuts and to hang out with my friends. And, and then I'd sit in a pew, you know, during the, the main sermon and my brother and I would just, you know, elbow each other, uh, <laughs> you know, have our, have our dad just yell at us and tell us to listen. But, um, uh, when I got into high school, I was, uh, I was very much an athlete. Um, really my life, uh, revolved around sports. Um, I played football, basketball, baseball, and many others. Um, but uh, it wasn't until I was 17 years old. It was actually on my 17th birthday. It was my junior year of high school. Um, I was on a uh, high school football team that had a legitimate chance to go on and win a state championship. And we were on our way midway through the state playoffs. And I got hurt. I tore my ACL, which was a devastating injury at that time. You know, this is about almost 25 years ago that this occurred. And so that, that surgery for a lot of guys meant that they were never going to come back the same. And I think for a kid who's, you know, really life and I think maybe identity revolved around sports up until that point, that was a devastating thing. And I remember sitting in church on my 17th birthday um, with my crutches, with a big knee brace on, sitting there thinking, you know what, if, if, if football's been taken away, if sports has been taken away, you know, what, what, who am I, you know, what do I represent? Um, and, and I think that that's, that's when God really spoke to me, um, through our pastor who, uh, that the sermon that day was about God looking for a few good men yeah. to lead his kingdom. And I just remember that it just hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, and my heart just jumped out of my chest and it was like, I want to be one of those few good men. And that was the turning point for me. Yeah, I love that. I love how God um, used that moment in your life. And I think that from what I understand, that's actually been something you've discovered over the years, that whenever you had any kind of adversity, 
uh, God actually uh, brought you closer to him through that? Yes, absolutely. I, I, I feel like the, the moments where my faith has been tested the most, it's also been strengthened the most. And it's typically in those times when I think right on the surface, you immediately think, you know, why is this happening to me? This is the worst thing that could be happening, you know, and, um, you know, maybe looking back on it now, those were very trivial things, you know, like just an injury in high school doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. And yet at the time for a high school kid, you know, that's, that's your, that's your life. That's your world. Right. Um, but every step of the way, you know, I can point to many instances throughout college and then certainly early on in my NFL career, all the way until now, um, I believe that God certainly has a plan and that things, whenever something happens that I don't necessarily agree with or would have planned myself, I immediately think, all right, God, what are you trying to tell me right now? Um, and listen, we, we are in one of those situations right now, you know, with, with what, what happened a few weeks ago. Um, I am asking myself, God, where can I make the biggest impact? Where do you see me in this movement? How are you going to use me? And so it, it's always about God's calling in our life um, to do his work and to bring more people to him. Yeah, amen, amen. And I always love that passage that says that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts aren't our thoughts. And all of a sudden he starts unveiling things to teach you things and you start learning he's going to lead you every step of the way. And uh, when I read your book, I felt like that's what I was reading is that every step that you took, somehow God was either you know, using that for good uh, and I think you even made a, one of the quotes I took out of it was that while God may not have caused the injury, God used the injury and he didn't cause the adversity. He used the adversity. Uh, absolutely. I, I, again, it's um, it's 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 your faith and it's your belief that God uh, is is using you for good and that he is constantly molding us and strengthening us into who we were meant to be. And. Uh, that listen, our point A to point B is not God's yeah. point A to point B, right? Yeah. Um, we want the easy road, right? We want the one that's easy to navigate. We want the one that's easily predictable. And yet in, in most cases, God has different plans and he's going to lead us on a journey. And it's that journey that strengthens our relationship with him. And it molds us who, who we we're meant to be. And it probably brings about things in our life that we never knew we're part of the plan until it just hit us like a ton of bricks. And all of a sudden that became our life's work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think that, that, um, the good news is, um, to me, uh, when I watch you play football, I think that's a lot about how you play football because, uh, when something breaks down, some of the most amazing passes you've ever thrown is when things started falling apart. Um, I don't know if that felt that way to you when 300 and some pound guys are about to get you, but uh, it sure looks that way. <laughs> well, yeah, once again, some of the best plays are not the way you draw them up. <laughs> yeah. So that's a great analogy, yes. Yeah, so um, as a football player, both back when you were in college and then in the pros, how did your faith in Jesus uh, affect your leadership with your team? You know, um, I think that uh, a lot of that was just, again, the way that the way that God was molding me along the way and, and uh, some of the trials and tribulations that I faced um, early in my career, whether it be overcoming an injury or whether it be 
uh, you know, being benched three times throughout the course of a season, you know, and, and all of a sudden you lose a little bit of confidence and you doubt maybe uh, your ability to to play or play at a high level or lead your team. I think at the end of the day, these are things that just, you know, they push you, they test you, um, they harden you to a bit, but also it just gives you that experience, that wisdom, and, and also that reliance on God and on the word and on the gospel and on the teachings that just continue to reemphasize how you want to live your life and the type of man that you want to be and the type of leader that you want to be. I mean, it really, it really molds your moral morals and value system that by which you lead. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. You were a Texas high school football player that, and if anybody doesn't know Texas football, uh, it's not like anywhere else. By the way, I went to Cooper High School in Abilene. Oh, Ab- Abilene Cooper? Yeah, yeah. So okay. uh, I got a taste of that. Uh, that was different football than California, which I, where I graduated. But um, here's the thing. You were a Texas high school football player thinking about going to a Texas university. And God, I believe, redirected you to Purdue. And because of him taking you to Purdue... Uh, one of the greatest blessings in your life came to you. Uh, I'm sure you know what I'm alluding to, uh, because if you hadn't gone, you wouldn't have met your wife. That's right. That, that was absolutely the greatest thing that happened as a result of me going to Purdue. Um, it was funny. There's a, there's a story there. So I, I tear my ACL my junior year of high school, and then typically throughout your, the spring of your junior year in the summer is when uh, a lot of this, the, the college scouts are looking at your tape and they're beginning to recruit you. And in many cases, guys commit to where they're going prior to their senior year. Well, unfortunately, I think there was a lot of doubt as to my ability to come back and, and play and play at a high level. And so I went through my senior year with basically no, no attention for many colleges um, to the point where we're getting ready to play in the state championship game against Abilene Cooper. Oh, I didn't um, know that. OK, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, December 22nd, to, uh, 1996, all right? Okay. So uh, we're getting ready to play them, and I remember standing uh, next to my offensive coordinator during practice, and he kind of tapped me on the shoulder, and he pointed to two coaches that were standing um, on the sideline, one of them wearing a blue jacket, one of them wearing a black and gold jacket. And he said, uh, you see those guys over there? They're, they're here to watch you. And I said, Really? I said, I kind of relegated myself to feeling like I wasn't going to you know, go to college, play football. I'd have to you know, find something else. And they said, yep, the one guy is from Kentucky and the, uh, the other guy is from Purdue. And I said, wow, Purdue, Ivy League. OK, it's uh, at least I'm going to go get a good education. Just goes to show how much I know about, about, about Purdue and <laughs> Purdue's lack of, of, of football reputation at the time. They've got a great academic reputation. But definitely not a good football reputation at the time. I think they had had about 15 straight losing seasons. But um, anyway, it's um, that's that, that ended up being where where God called me. And trust me, when I went there on my official visit and saw six feet of snow on the ground, being a Texas kid, I was like, "What am I doing here?" <laughs> but it was Joe Tiller. It was that high flying spread offense. It was the opportunity to get a great education. Um, but little did I know the the greatest thing that would come from that would be meeting my wife, Brittany. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's what I thought took when I was following your story is that it just seems like, you know, you, you might have thought in your mind, is this going to be the place I'd want to go? But had you not gotten there, you would never have been able to meet her. You wouldn't have your children. Uh, your life would be so different. 
Absolutely. Listen, I, I, again, it's uh, it's all part of God's calling and, and the fact that it wasn't it w- wasn't my plan. My plan was to stay in Texas. Yeah. Right. And uh, at the time it was the old Southwest Conference. Um, but but go to one of those Texas schools. That's where all my friends were going. Right. That's where that was my comfort zone. Um, and, and so really going to West Lafayette, Indiana, to six feet of snow to play in the Big Ten Conference for a team that was at the bottom of the Big Ten. That was not my plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but but uh, when I think about the education that I got when I think about the journey that I went on for us and our team, you know, we really went from worst to first. We won a big 10 championship my senior year, which is what the commitment that we all made to each other as a freshman class, which was, you know, nobody thinks much of us right now, but, uh, but we're, we're going to band together and we're going to work hard. And by the time we leave here, we're going to leave here as champions. And we were able to do that. And then to meet my wife, Brittany, and now here we are going on um, 17 and a half years of marriage with, with four crazy children um, and just an unbelievable journey that we've already been on, but, but the unbelievable journey ahead, um, I'm so thankful for. So how did you and Brittany meet? <laughs> well, um, the, the first moment I saw her, this was, uh, we were at, uh, at a get together with just some mutual friends. We were actually at uh, one of the apartment complexes on campus where a lot of the football players stayed. And I remember just seeing her walking across the parking lot with a friend. And this was uh, my 19th birthday. And I remember looking at a couple of my teammates that were in my, my, uh, my class, my roommates, basically. And I said, I'm going to marry that girl. <laughs> I, never, I never met her, never laid eyes on her before. Um, but I said that. And so... Uh, basically later on that night, I saw her, felt like it was a good opportunity to go talk to her. And I made a complete fool out of myself, like <laughs> to the point where she was like, who is this idiot football player? Like, get him away from me. I want nothing to do with this guy. So it was funny. Cause like I said, that was the first time I had ever seen her. And I'm telling you for the next six months of school, I saw her everywhere. I saw her walking to class. I saw her in the lunchroom cafeteria. I saw her everywhere. And it was just one of those things where I wanted to go and apologize to her for making a fool of myself and, and see if she would give me a chance. But I didn't work up the courage until about six months later during the summertime, another get together with friends. And I went up to her and convinced her that I was at least a decent guy and she should give me a chance. Okay. That is cool. That is really, really cool. (laughs) So, um, your parents divorced when you were younger. Uh, and you made a statement, you didn't want your kids to ever go through that. Um, so what kind of, um, things, what was in your heart when you decided you were going to marry her? Did you have this feeling of when I say I do, that's it. There's no turning back. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's a commitment and it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. I mean, certainly everyone knows that, that marriage is, is a lot of work and there's a lot of compromise and it's a journey. There's plenty of things that you learn as you go. And I think there's the different seasons of life, too, when, when you talk about marriage. And, you know, a lot of this uh, comes from, you know, my mentors and, you know, my grandparents who were married for 67 years um, and just 
you know, talking about, hey, there's life before kids and then there's life during kids or marriage during kids. And then there's marriage once kids are out of the house. And then, you know, just all those different phases. And listen, we're just in the beginning. And, and yet it's it's such an adventure. And um, I think you just have to uh, approach it as such um, that you're going to have challenges. You're going to have those those struggles. You're going to have those times where you're just kind of navigating your way through and She's helping you to understand, you know, what's happening in your life and you're helping her understand what's happening in her life. And it's and it's 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 teamwork. I mean, there's maybe no better way to describe it than than teamwork, especially when you're raising kids, because, man, they try <laughs> to pitch you against each other. <laughs> so you got to be a solid team when it comes to having small kids. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. One of the things I heard you said that's a big key to your marriage is that you guys should always show respect to each other. Um, and that, that that's one of the values, which obviously creates this uh, ability to be a teammate. Uh, I'm sure that's true on the, on your, uh, on the saints also, you know, that you guys have to have mutual respect for each other. Uh, but in, in marriage, uh, how do you practically live that out where you're making sure to always show respect? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think the first and foremost, we, I think there's a way that you have to argue. There's a way that you have to disagree. And, and therefore, I think, listen, I think that that's something that for me, especially as a quarterback, being in a, in a very alpha position, you know, where you're used to taking control, you're used to fixing things. You're used to being the one that's kind of in charge and, and calling the shots to a certain extent. Um, I think with marriage, it requires a lot more listening. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's times when you realize, I think, as a husband, that it's just time to shut your mouth and listen. And uh, your wife is not looking for you to fix the problem. She just wants you to listen and acknowledge. Um, so, uh, there's, there's, there's those things that you learn along the way, but I think just in regards to the respect aspect, um, it's, it, that's an acknowledgement of that, you know, honey, I, I respect and love you so much that I am going to sit and I'm going to listen. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to try to like fix the problem to the extent that I am disregarding what you're trying to tell me or what you're trying to convey to me. And so there's a way that I'm going to listen. There's a way that I'm going to respond. And it's always going to be with the utmost respect. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to agree about everything, but we're always going to find a way to compromise. And we're always going to find a way to, um, you know, move forward better. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, one of the things that uh, I know is that um, we show people incredible value when we and respect when we listen, you know, and and um, I even try to teach couples how to actively listen to each other, you know, so that you're really getting the real message, you know, and and showing right. that you care about them. Uh, and I feel like in Ephesians five, that's what God is saying, you know, as a husband that you need to love your wife. So she's sanctified. So she feels special, um, spe special to you and and uh, know that you cherish her. And, um, that's what it sounds like you're doing. Like you really value her that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's also, you know, understanding your, your wife's love languages. Like for example, my wife is, my wife is quality time, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm physical touch, right? Oh yeah. So, you know, for, for me, just being able to sit next to her and just have my hand on her holding her hand or what have you like that fills my bucket. Right. 
but what's going to fill her bucket is our opportunity to, you know, get away from the kids, right? For, for us to uh, go for a walk, right? Or to sit down for a meal together and just for us just to be able to talk and reconnect and for me to listen in many cases. And so I think just understanding what, what fills her bucket is, is extremely important. Oh yeah. Yeah. And by the way, for all the guys who are listening out there, that's what we all have to do. We have to look for a way to love our wives and even our children. I think you'd go to your children in ways that are meaningful to them, you know, to really matter to them. Absolutely. You know, our, our, um, I, I, I think the greatest thing too about, uh, I think marriage and then certainly the way that I approach, um, just interactions with my wife is, is, is I, I try to do that as much as possible in front of my kids. Right. Because at the end of the day, I think we, as fathers, we, we are modeling to our, our sons, especially this is how you treat a lady. Um, and then having a daughter, <laughs> um, I, I, I've heard the term that you, you date your daughter, right? So the way that you treat her is modeling exactly how, uh, you know, any man in her life in the future should be treating her. And so I think constantly when, when I think about our kids, one of the greatest sayings that I was told at one point was that your kids hear very little of what you say, but see everything that you do. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so many times I think my kids mess up and I want to sit down and give them a dissertation and you can see their eyes just all over the place for, for all the dads out there, you know what I'm talking about. And especially for the dads that like try to coach their kids, right. You run over to them and you're trying to coach them something. You just see their eyes start to wander and like, all right, I already lost them. Right. So at the end of the day, they're not going to hear a whole lot, but man, they're going to see and want to mimic everything that you're doing. And so that becomes a huge priority is, is what are, what are they seeing in, in, in how I'm acting, how I'm responding, um, how I'm treating my wife, how I'm loving and respecting my wife. Yeah. And one of the things I was taught when I was younger is that as a husband is that the best thing I can do for my kids is love my wife. Uh, that just creates so much security for them. But you're right. And then they see everything. They watch everything. So that's there's, so true. There's no question. They, they've never missed it. <laughs> yeah. So when you first found out you're going to be a father, what, what was the feeling you had? Such joy, such pride. Um, and at the same time, probably a lot of fear. <laughs> uh, just it, that's, that's un uncharted waters you know, uncharted territory. And I think, I think there's always that fear of, you know, what if I mess up? You know, what, what if I, what if I make a mistake? And you know, I remember you take, taking your child home from the hospital, you know, after their birth. And it's like every little sound, every little movement, you're just sitting there like, Oh, what was that? What was that? You know, am I, are we doing the right thing? Like, well, it's, um, it's, it's, it's truly amazing. I, I've always felt like it is one of God's absolute greatest gifts. And with that comes great responsibility, but that's, that's part of the journey. And I feel like I've become better in every aspect of my life upon becoming a father. Um, again, the way that I interact with my wife, um, the way that I approach relationships with others. Um, I think the way that I approach my faith, um, certainly my level of patience. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. 
um, and just some of those other values and, and things that become uh, more necessary uh, being, as being a father. Do you um, have some intentional goals as a, as a dad with your kids that you look to? Because it seems like that's the kind of person you are. You seem like you set a goal and go for it. Absolutely. It's, it's always funny to see how different your children can be, even though they came from the exact same place. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And so I think for, for me as a father, that's been one of the most fun things. Uh, and also, um, I guess, challenging at the same time, just based upon what you said, is because, you know, what works for one child doesn't necessarily work for the other and in regards to the way that you talk to them and the way that you um, you try to motivate them. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you're always trying to put your kids in the best position to succeed. And they all have different interests. They all have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, and yet what you're trying to do along that journey is just try to harness all those things and, and, and try to guide them in the right direction. At the end of the day, you're, you're just kind of seeing, you know, where their interests take them. And then you try to create the value structure around them that is going to apply to no matter what they do in life. Right. It's, there's a way that we treat people, right. There's a way that we treat our mother. There's a way that we treat our sister. There's a way that we treat our friends and our teacher. You know, there's a way that we love the Lord. Um, and I think if you create that value structure around them, no matter where they go, that becomes their base. Yeah, yeah. I, I call that giving someone a moral compass that, uh, you know, sometimes life can get chaotic. But if you got that moral compass of loving God and loving others and and being honest and and uh, caring, I feel like that'll carry you through. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So do you see uh, raising boys as different than raising your daughter? Um, I, uh, <laughs> I do. Absolutely. The, uh, the, the, you know, the whole, the, the saying boys will be boys, right? Um, there's, what, what is it? Like, there's no like frontal cortex, you know, they just, <laughs> they do and say things that you just sit back and you say, did I act like that when I was that age? Like, was I just that like completely unaware of my surroundings, right? And just putting myself in danger at all times. Um, whereas, you know, my, my, my daughter, the, 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 the funny thing about my daughter is I, I, think, I think there's a difference, and I've heard this from other people too, in regards to if you have boys first versus the girl, right? Mm -hmm. um, but by, 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 having, by having the boys first, I think that was probably a good thing because if I would have had the daughter first, I would have had her on like such a high, you know, pedestal, right? And gosh, she's so smart and she is so aware and she picks things up so fast and this kind of thing. Like boys, like what? What's wrong with you guys? You know. <laughs> um, but I, I think having the boys and especially having the three boys in such close age to each other. I mean, you talk about like a true brotherhood. You know, they. I mean, they fight. They love, they, you know, everything is so just passionate, you know, with, with the boys and they, um, being, being boys who love sports as well, just like their dad. I mean, that's, that's something that's been obviously a great way to connect with them. 
is our ability to go out in the backyard and play ball and, and all the life lessons that I think come from sports. You know, I, I couldn't be more of a proponent for sports and especially team sports as it pertains to kids. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, my daughter and I have have a really unique relationship and special relationship. And I'm sure every I'm sure every dad would say that um, your heart just kind of melts with your daughter. You know, whereas you're much more kind of hardline, maybe disciplined with boys when it comes to the daughter. Right. She can she can kind of get away with everything. Right. And there's things you find yourself doing with your daughter. Like how many times a day do I play Barbies? Right. <laughs> dolls. Right. And. You know, she she just kind of gives me the different dolls to be. And she almost like tells me the personality that I need to be with each doll. Right. So I find myself doing things and playing games with her that I certainly otherwise wouldn't be doing. Um, but uh, it's really it's it's it, it's really one of the great joys of fatherhood is, is having that balance between the two boys and girls. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I can see how you lit up in those moments where you get to do something like play dolls, <laughs> which is Listen, fun. it's one of those like whatever she wants to do. Right. Whatever yeah. you want to do, sweetheart. I am I am here to do it with you. That is so cool. So when it comes to wanting your kids to know about how real Jesus is, what are some ways you instill that in them? Yeah. You know, what I found to make the biggest difference is that when we lay down at night to go to sleep, you know, those are typically the moments where obviously things are very quieted down. Um, you know, they're, uh, they're beginning to kind of wind down and calm down. And I just, I'll just whisper, I'll just whisper things in their ear. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them how much Jesus loves them and that Jesus has great things planned for their lives. And, um, they can accomplish anything in life that they're willing to work for and to trust in Jesus and trust in the word. And um, I, I just, I just, you know, we pray together and I pray for them. I pray on them. Um, and so it's one of those things where, you know, indirectly, it's just subliminally almost in, in their minds. I'm just trying to put it, put it on their minds, put it in their hearts as they're going to sleep and um, hope that that's something that's just, landing softly. And I find that it comes out in conversations that we'll have during the day, which makes me feel like, all right, it's, it's making a difference. You know, again, we've talked about so much today. It's obviously you, you want to model for your children, you yeah. know, um, the, the, the life that Jesus wants you to live. Um, but also just as they're going through their own journey and developing their own relationship, it's just those little whispers at night and, um, just kind of, falling softly on them that you hope is resonating and will come out at the right times. Oh yeah. Yeah. One of the things that at least, and I'm going to say, I'm obviously observing from a far distance, but it seems like at important moments in your football career, it's a big deal for you to have your family there. Um, they just seem to be right there that when you uh, threw that con the consecutive touchdowns, you know, in so many games and, Man, right away there you were with your family. Uh, am I right about that? Are you intentional to have them there with the, in those moments with you? Yes, absolutely. I uh, first off, my 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 my, fam my family is so important to me, and I I am not able to be the football player that I am without them. Um, you know, we talked about the four F's earlier. You know, but to elaborate on that, you know, it's faith. First, it's then family, it's 
then football, and then it's philanthropy. And they're in that order for a reason because when I wake up every morning, I, I, I have that quiet time of, of meditation, of prayer, of time in the word, time of reflection, you know, where that's my, that's my quiet time with the Lord. And, and I need that each and every day because that is what sets the moral compass for me and how I want to live my life as a family man, as a husband and a father. And if I'm not right with my family, then I can't go to my job and be the best that I can be with my job. And then I recognize the platform and the influence that my job as a football player gives me to make an impact in the community, which is where the philanthropy comes in. So that's why they're in that order of faith, family, football, philanthropy. They all interconnect, but they all kind of trickle down to one another. So my family is as big a part as my career as anything. And having them along for the journey, having especially, I think, my kids to have these memories and these moments that they can look back on, I think it's just so special. And I think that just the messages that I try to convey to them at the same time as well. Um, you know, after breaking the, the yardage record, to have them on the sideline, have that moment with them. And it was funny because in the weeks leading up to that, I've been talking to them about, you know, you can accomplish anything in life you're willing to work for. And, and that was the those are the words that came out to them at the time. And so if there can immediately be this connection between, you know, working hard and doing the right yeah. things and, and, um, and then what that can equate to in regards to, right, a career or your passion, um, I think at the end of the day, you want them to feel like they, they, they truly can accomplish anything and that um, them being a part of this journey with me just makes it that much rewarding for, for me and my wife. Yeah. And I love seeing that. And by the way, to me, that is a, a an incredible model and uh, an example you set for so many other men, you know, when, you know, we see you win a big game and, and right away you're there with your kids, you know, and with your wife. I, um, I think that has a big influence, a big effect for people, especially in a world where so many people don't have fathers. You know, the father wound is out there. Yeah, you know, that's that's a good point. Um, you know, when I when I think about, you know, we we, we talk about fatherhood and, and obviously Father's Day, um, you know, honoring all fathers. But I think it goes beyond that. And and this is what I mean by that is that. Obviously, we, we are fathers to our own children, but I think we are influences and potentially father figures to so many others who maybe don't have that in their life. Um, when I look at my childhood, listen, I had so many great mentors. I had so many great coaches, great teachers, um, my, my own father, my grandfathers. I had so many strong male voices and uh, a presence in my life that helped to you know, mold me and, and teach me and mentor me. And, and so I think that that's something that I am always very conscious of in everything that I do is that I'm not just modeling for my own kids, but I'm modeling for so many others. Um, you know, we hear that saying that it takes a village, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and, and so many times when you are sending your kids off to school or you're sending your kids off to practice or, you know, to Sunday school or wherever they're going, you are putting your trust and confidence in other figures 
and obviously with what we're talking about here, positive male role models, you're putting trust in them to model for your children, you know, what, what, what you hope to be great values and great morals. So we all have that responsibility as men. We all have that responsibility to model for not just our own kids, but for all young men. You said it's faith, family, and then football, which obviously that's something I don't want to miss having a chance to ask a couple things about. Um, do you have a, a, a method you go to to prepare for a big game? Like, you know, it's going to be a tougher game uh, or do you use the same method every time? Uh, is there any difference? No, I, I would say it's very consistent. It's a very consistent routine uh, from start to finish throughout the week. You know, I've got the routine that I do in the weight room from a strength perspective, uh, the way that I care for my body um, and with my recovery, um, my film study, my practice habits, just so many things. Um, but yes, I, I would say that all remains very, very consistent. Uh, I would say, you know, from, from week to week, the, the, the great thing about the NFL is it literally – on any given Sunday, anybody can beat anybody, right? Yeah. Um, so you truly have to put forth your best game plan, your best effort, you know, your best week of preparation. Um, there's, there's no just getting by at our level because everyone is so good and everybody's fighting so hard for the same thing. But that's why everyone loves the NFL game. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So you obviously have had a very successful career and still have, you know, some years ahead of you without a doubt. Um, what do you think has made you, uh, achieve the level of success you've had? Well, I, it's really a lot of factors, but again, I think having that balance in my life, um, I would say would be number one. Um, I've had so many great mentors in my life that have helped guide me and have helped me create what is now my process. You know, the process that I go through each and every off season and into the season to be the absolute best that I could be. You know, had you told me back when I was a rookie that I would be entering into my 20th NFL season, I, I would tell you that you were crazy. You know, I, I never, never thought that that was a possibility. Uh, just took it one year at a time. Loved playing the game of football. Certainly felt very fortunate, very blessed to be able to play this game at the highest level. But every step of the way, even though I'm an ultra confident person and, and one of those people that felt like, you know, I could, I could do anything, um, still maybe just, I mean, really grateful is the word. You know, e e each step of the way, it's, it, it's been eclipsing another goal or another milestone and, 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 and not taking too much time to reflect because I always just want to keep my eyes on the horizon as to what's coming up next. But the overwhelming feeling is just gratitude. So much gratitude for all the people that God has put into my life to be a mentor for me and to be a part of this journey and my family um, and the ages that my kids are now to truly be able to enjoy this and be a part of this and something that they'll remember forever. Um, the impact that it's had on the city of New Orleans. Um, you know, let's, let's not forget that, you know, when, when I signed with New Orleans, you know, I was coming off a major shoulder injury 
New Orleans uh, had been devastated by Hurricane Katrina. You know, the team had been playing um, in San Antonio and Baton Rouge and, you know, all these other places. You know, they, re they really didn't have a home. So I felt like going to New Orleans was a calling. It was about so much more than football. I was hoping to be able to play football again. I wasn't sure. I was having doctors telling me I might not ever play football again with my shoulder injury. So to me, that was about the resurrection of one of America's greatest cities. And to look back, here we are 15 years later, and, and see the way that New Orleans has responded and come back better and stronger than ever. Um, to be a part of that journey has been absolutely amazing. So I'm just so grateful, so grateful. Yeah, and I think that's so interesting how your career going from the Chargers to the Saints and then going to the Saints at a time when there was such need in the city, really just like, again, it was one of those moments where God just guided you to some place where your giftedness could be accentuated. Because uh, you right away, you, it seems like if I'm right, you and your wife right away dived in. How can we help our city? That's exactly right. In fact, there's a funny story there. So I am in Birmingham, Alabama, rehabbing my shoulder. And this is uh, March of 2006. So it was right at the start of free agency. And I had two teams coming after me. It was the Miami Dolphins. And Nick Saban was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> and then it was uh, the New Orleans Saints, with Sean Payton had just been named the head coach. So on the surface, it seemed like a very easy decision, right? Uh, you got Miami with Nick Saban and a promising future in the city of Miami, or you've got New Orleans, an unproven head coach, city's been destroyed by Katrina, and losing organization, right? But uh, when, when I went to New Orleans, um, Sean Payton, who had only been living there a month, tried to take me to his neighborhood where he was building a home to show me, hey, guys, the city's coming back. We know you want to start a family. Like, you know, there's, there's these areas where you can live and, 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 and start raising a family. But on his way back to the Saints facility, he got lost. <laughs> he ended up driving through Lakeview, which was a neighborhood that was completely devastated uh, when the 17th Street Canal um, levee broke, and it literally just sent water rushing through there and ripping houses off the foundations. So we're driving through this neighborhood, literally just concrete foundations, no houses. We come up on one house that has a truck upside down in the living room, and then we turn the corner, and the car stops, and I look up, and there is a tugboat upside down in the middle of the road. So Sean Payton has to turn around. In the meantime, he's calling our general manager, Mickey Loomis, no. to ask for directions on how to get back to the Saints facility. <laughs> and he told me that he was thinking to himself, I might as well drive Drew to Miami right now because there's <laughs> no way he's coming here. But it actually had the exact opposite effect. I, I remember looking at my wife, Brittany, and we both felt the same thing. And that, that was, this was truly God's calling for us, that this was so much more than just coming to play for the New Orleans Saints, that this was about us being a part of the resurgence of this great city, having a very active role in that. And from the moment we stepped foot in New Orleans, it was about um, gaining a grasp of exactly what was happening, what was needed, all the organizations that were doing such great work, but just needed a little help up, just needed to just kind of hit that tipping point with uh, what they were able to, uh, or trying to accomplish, which was rebuilding schools, parks, playgrounds, athletic fields, funding childcare programs, Really, it was about uh, creating an environment that felt that made it to where people felt comfortable bringing their kids back to New Orleans, right? Do we? They have schools to go to. They have parks to play in. Do they have childcare programs to 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 be a part of? And so, just all those things. And 
to be able to throw ourselves into that. And here we are 15 years later, and we've been able to raise or commit almost $40 million in the community uh, through our foundation. It's just incredible. It's been it's been truly a, a labor of love and, and part of our life's, life's work. That is so cool. And if I understand right, um, you and Brittany really take seriously Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, there's much required? Absolutely. We know that God has given us this platform. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel like we're, 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 you know, I get asked a lot about, hey, what does generosity mean to you? And at, at the end of the day, I feel like everything that we have belongs to the Lord and that Lord has just merely made us a steward of these opportunities. And so it's a matter of us now taking uh, those opportunities and um, making this world a better place for God's kingdom and, um, uh, you know, re really carrying out the, the work that we feel like he has, has, has laid out in front of us. Yeah, one of the things I teach here at Crossroads is that we're blessed to be a blessing. And uh, then I think that starts a cycle of blessing, you know, because it's more blessed to give than receive. So if God blesses me, I choose to bless God, bless others. Well, then now I'm going to get more blessed because I'm, I'm giving, you know, it's more blessed to give. And so I love this cycle of blessing idea. Um, have you found that to be true for you? You know, you don't do it for that. You do it because you love God. But have you found this like cycle of blessing happening the more you and your wife get to partner together to use your foundation to do other things to help people? I do, absolutely. And it's a bit of the, that pay it forward philosophy, right? It's, it's you, you bless someone and they, they, they in turn bless someone else. And, and it just, it starts the cycle of blessing, which is, is I've never heard it that way, but that's, that's a great way to, to articulate it. Um, I found that the more that we've been able to give, the more that we've been able to involve ourselves in, the more opportunities have come our way to continue to do that. And also those that maybe didn't necessarily know how to help, but wanted to help. Um, I think it brought forth the people that were really wanting to give and wanting to bless others as well. And so it just, it created this, this total environment or this total community of blessing, which was even greater. Yeah. I feel like this season we're in as a country right now, uh, the coronavirus in particular, by the way, but also some of the other things has given us opportunities to look for ways to bless more people, you know, to meet more needs. Um, we have a, a, we put on a camp for foster kids every year and now we're not allowed to have the camp. And so I love our team got really creative. We're going to bring camp to every one of those hundreds of foster kids in their home. Um, but the way we're going to do it is people in our church are encouraged to be a part of giving to that, which means like you said, you're paying it forward and you're helping people and, um, what would you say to the guy who's sitting out there that's a little hesitant to dive into these kind of things? Who's, you know, just like, I don't know if I'm going to give what I work so hard for. Um, cause I, I run into those guys all the time <laughs> and I'm always trying to get them to see, Hey man, have loose hands, trust God, see what happens. So what would you say to a guy who struggles sometimes being generous? Well, <clears throat> I think it's, it's, uh, partly of what I said before, which was that um, I, I feel like we're all stewards of what God has, has simply given us. And it's really designed to be able to, to help others. It's designed to prop up others. And um, I would say this too, this, I actually heard this today um, when I, when I went to work out 
from from uh, the guy who I train with. He said that um, the the heaviest weight uh, to lift in the weight room is the front door <laughs> for most people, meaning just simply that motivation or just opening that front door to enter. And then once you see and once you feel, then I think the motivation kicks in and um, uh, I think the, the, the reward really kicks in of, of what it feels like. Now, uh, I, obviously, the parallel being drawn with right how good you feel when you work out and then, you know, that kind of thing. Well, how good do you feel when you have the opportunity to bless someone else, when you have the opportunity to take what God's given you and to put that blessing upon someone else? Um, not only the rewarding feeling that you get, but the benefit that they get and then maybe their mindset towards what they're now going to be able to do for others, too. Yeah. Yeah. That, I love that. And you're right. Yeah. The front door, that's what stopped me. A lot of us have never made it there <laughs> to the gym, you know? Right. Yeah. That's so true. So true. Hey, well, I've really appreciated you sharing time with us right now. And, uh, man, we appreciate, uh, all for all the things you shared. I want to just say again, those four F's to me are like gold cause they're so memorable. Uh, and I, I love the idea that if someone, and they, they had that order, that intentional order, uh, faith, family, maybe we don't have football, but we have our occupation, our calling That's and, right. and then That's philanthropy, right. um, that, you know what, we can, we can make a difference in a lot of people's lives. Um, and we could have a better life, which I really, really love. So thank you again for being with us. Thank you. It, it was an honor. Happy Father's Day. To, All right. Uh, to yeah. And happy Father's Day to you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Drew. Take care. Wow, I hope you enjoyed our time with Drew Brees. And I want to say thank you again to Drew, who was so uh, generous by giving us his time and sharing the wisdom uh, that he's learned over the years and the passion he has to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Uh, but what I want to do is this. I, I want to point you back to something Drew said early on. And that is, is that he knows the direction of his life, and it's based on the four F's. I love its F's. <laughs> Faith, family, football, and philanthropy. And he said, it all begins with faith. It all starts with faith. For you and for me, that's the same thing. It, it begins with, do you have a faith, a trust, a loving trust in Jesus to take you and guide you and show you what life's all about? Uh, that decision he made when he was a junior in high school changed everything for him. The decision I made when I committed my life to Christ changed everything for me. Lots of other people out there have discovered how real this faith is, this relationship is. And what you discover is not just that God loves you. You understand also that God who knows you better than you know yourself, has a plan for your life. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says this. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Right now, I want to ask a question. Are you living out God's incredible plan for your life? Because he has a plan for you. And by the way, there are some things that are true for all of us, but a big part of that plan is very unique to you. Very unique to you. So are you in the midst of that right now? And, and for that to become real for you, you've got to do something. You got to give your life to Jesus. You have to commit your life to Jesus. You have to surrender your life to Jesus. When you do, you find out that Jesus died on the cross for you and for your sins so you could be completely forgiven. 
So all of the shame, all of the guilt now has no power in your life any longer. He died on the cross for you so you could be a new creation and you could start to live with new power because he'll give the Holy Spirit to you. Uh, Something right now, if you're not his, you don't have. Or if you were his and you've walked away is being quenched. But having the power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in your life will show you and guide you and empower you to live life the way you're meant to. You need this. You need it. But here's the cool thing. God wants it for you. And he wants you to experience that. And you know what? God's plan is going to be amazing. Another one of my favorite scriptures is this. For I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it ever entered into our imagination all that God has prepared for those who love him. God has prepared things for you. Now, he's prepared you to face challenges and overcome. He's prepared for you opportunities to make a real difference that, that are going to feed your, your soul and, and give birth to the best life you could ever live. He's going to guide you. He's going to empower you. Where God guides, by the way, God also provides. He's going to provide for you. So right now, here's the question. Are you living that life? Are you ready to go down that road? Are you ready to experience the journey, the journey that you would experience traveling with God, living out the rest of your life in a way that's incredible? You're not ever, never too old. It's never too late. God has it for you right now. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to get ready to take that that opportunity to commit your life to Christ and live your life with him. The Bible tells us the first two steps and all the steps we take, but the first two are the ones that begin it all. So I'm going to ask you to grab your phone right now or grab an iPad or a computer, anything you can do a text message on. And I'm going to ask you to do this. The first step is to pray a prayer. I'm going to lead you in that prayer right now. And and then after we pray that prayer, or even before we pray that prayer, I want you to text AMEN to 69922. Uh, So in in the two section, 69922, and the word AMEN, AMEN means the truth. It means for real. It means I'm in. And I want to say the first two step is number one, to pray a private prayer of commitment, although you could pray that with others. And then is to make it public. Jesus talked about the fact you got to proclaim it. And so I'm going to ask you to proclaim it by texting us, amen. When you do, we're going to get back to you. And I'm going to ask you to interact with us because you can trust us. We'll keep your information private. But interact with us so you, we can send you things. We're going to right away send you a gift uh, that will help you on your walk with God. We're going to connect with you to show you things and answer questions. So it's worth doing. It's worth doing. But something happens. Something happens when you pray that prayer. It goes deeper when you make it known. Real change begins to occur, real experience from God. And and so I don't want you to hold back. So right now, some of you need to pray this prayer with me for the very first time. Some of you need to pray the prayer to recommit your life to Christ. Many of you need to pray this prayer to find freedom from things that are hurting you and harming you. It all begins with having that power that comes from on high make the difference in your life. You can be free. You can change. You can experience real transformation. Pray the prayer with me. You could pray it alone. You could pray it as a couple. You could pray it as friends. You could pray it as a family. Pray the prayer. But when you do, text AMEN 
to 69922. I'm going to pray for you first right now. And all of you who love God, let's pray for people who are either on our campus or all around the world that need right now to say yes to the Lord. Let's pray for them. Father, I know right now that our heart's desire is to have people experience your love and open their hearts to you. And God, I pray right now, they're sensing this is their moment in time. Some are going to need to come back to you. At one time, they did love you, and they need to come back. There are some who are watching right now, and they've been so filled with anger and bitterness, it's just all they can think about. And that's never going to give birth to peace and love and change in a positive way. So I pray right now for anybody who needs to either commit or recommit their life to Christ. For a person who's just hard-hearted, and they know that. They know their heart's hard right now. This is a time to pray this prayer and and let the Spirit come, and and their hearts are going to change. For a husband who has been really angry and embittered at his wife, I pray he's going to pray this prayer. For a man who's sitting out there right now, and he knows he's not the father he needs to be, and, and he's wondering if it's too late, and it isn't. I pray he's going to pray this prayer and and change and become that dad, become that father. His kids are going to say, this is what we always wanted. And he can have that. For uh, uh, the wife who's out there right now, and she's tired of feeling alone and lonely. I pray she's going to pray this prayer. So I pray right now for anybody, Lord, who needs to open up their heart to you, who needs to commit their life to you. I pray for them. Let this be their moment. I'm praying for you. Let this be your moment. So right now, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me and then text in that amen. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me and I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and from pain. I pray you'll free me from anything that's holding me down or holding me back. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. Because I want you. I want your love. And I want the life you have for me. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you pray that prayer, praise God. We are so excited for you. And we want to connect with you. We want to show you some things that make life better, help you draw closer to God. So make sure and text in amen to 69922 so we can really begin to connect with you and encourage you and and show you things that God has for you. Uh, We really want to be able to do that with you. Um, Right now, though, before we uh, uh, stop, I want to tell you a couple things. And here's number one. Uh, Our Boldly Blessed this week was a big one. Uh, If you're not sure what that is, uh, now through the month of June, uh, we are doing something called Boldly Blessed. We'll stop at the end of June and pick it up uh, in the Christmas season. But we ask everyone to give at least a dollar more than you normally give. And uh, that means if you give nothing, give us a dollar. Um, <coughs> text GIVE to 69922, and we'll help you do that. But we want you to be a part of joining with us and changing lives. Uh, next week, we're going to bring fo- uh, a camp to the homes of foster kids so they can know they loved, know they matter. Lots of kids don't know that. We're going to do that. This week, though. Uh, we discovered a family, and the daughter is, goes to our church. The mom and dad, their dream are to become U.S. citizens. 
they love this country. Uh, they came here. They've experienced what it means to, to really begin to have life the way they'd want to. And so one of, that was their greatest dream. But they weren't able to, to fulfill some of the things they needed to do through the attorneys because they didn't have the money for the attorneys. So Crossroads family and all you who joined in, we paid their attorney fee. They get to, when they were crying, they get to be citizens now. They couldn't believe it. What they thought was an obstacle they never could overcome. God brought us alongside them. So now they get to fulfill their dream. I think that's huge. And I'm praising God we get to do that together. And hopefully in the chat, you're going to go amen, amen on that. Because it's so exciting that we get to do that together. Don't forget next week, all of us, and during this week, what you give is going to change the lives of children who have not always known how loved they are and how special they are. And so we want you to be a part of that. Also, uh, as a gift, especially to the dads, uh, we want to give you a, a podcast that, that has Drew and I share together in. And uh, I want to talk to you about mentoring. Drew wants to share his heart for mentoring. And I think you're going to understand how needed it is, how powerful it is, and how some practical steps you could take. So if you want to get that podcast, the only way to get it right now anyway, is to text Text uh, is to text, uh, I'm looking for a podcast, text podcast to 69922. Sex podcast to 69922. And I want to say again, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, everybody.